Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 190 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Outside In, an interview with Mallory Green. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Zabatello. Matt, we had been partnering with Mallory by reposting much of her beautiful content for a while, and I've known that she was different, but I didn't know exactly why until we did this interview. And now I understand Mallory and her perspective in a way that I hadn't before. Mallory has actually stood conventional wisdom on its head by arguing that you heal from the outside in rather than from the inside out. And Rich Mallory taught us this in great detail. As a hairstylist, she started to lose her hair and realized that when she didn't look good, she didn't feel good. She had to seek natural alternatives to get her hair to grow back that wouldn't have a negative impact on her immune system. And she found that, got her hair back, and continued on in her healing journey. So Matt, like so many of the people that we've worked with in the past, Mallory wants to scale the lessons that she learned from her journey, and she's doing that. And what she's now trying to do is reach out to other women and I guess other men who have lost their hair on their Lyme disease journey. And she's trying to help them use natural tools to regrow their hair so that they will feel good. So Matt, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce Outside In with Mallory Green. Hey, Mallory, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me on here. Well, we're really excited to have you, Mallory. And uh, so I understand that you are a native Long Islander and you are now living in South Florida. Yes. So I grew up on Long Island. I'm from Northport. Um, and now, yes, I'm living in Boca. So I'm in South Florida for like the past year and a half now. So how are you enjoying your time in South Florida? I absolutely love it. Obviously, things are different with everything going on now in the world. So a little different than, you know, what I was expecting, but we absolutely love it here. It's been great. So talk to us about your experience as a child in Northport, New York. So growing up, I mean, you know, I have a younger brother, my parents are still married. Um, We were just always doing things, whether it was like pumpkin picking or just always like big family events. My mom's side's Italian. So we always had big events going on. We were always, there was always something every weekend, you know, Uh, me and my brother were in sports, just very like active kids growing up. So let's talk about Northport and that community. It's a, it's a pretty wealthy community and they have a really good school district and a school system. And, you know, the taxes are high because they invest in teachers. So talk to us about what your educational experience was like as a um, young person in Northport, New York. Um, school was good. I mean, I felt like I always had like a little trouble focusing in school, but I always liked school. I liked like the social element of it, I guess, you know, um, But Northport was good. It was a great town to grow up in. It felt very safe. It was just a very nice area. We had like, you know, like Northport Harbor. So we could go there with our friends. It was just a nice, a really nice, like small town kind of community, which was great. And and Northport is a suburban community where there there are a lot of outdoor activities. uh, And I'm I'm assuming you did engage in all the outdoor activities that were available to you as a uh, young person living in Northport, New York. Yes, I did. And we had dogs. So we were always outside, like walking the dogs. We were always in like wooded areas. Um, you know, there were always like deers around. We were, we were always outside. That was like a huge part of our, of our childhood. So let's talk about what you knew during your childhood about ticks and tick diseases, first from your family and then from the educational um, experiences that you had, your health classes or any of the science classes you've taken. So let's first focus on your family. What do you know about ticks and tick diseases from your family? Absolutely nothing. 
Absolutely nothing. So it you grew up in this <laughs> in this traditional Italian family where I'm sure you had an over the top mother as an as someone who has an Italian American mother myself. I understand what what that type of parenting is. Um, so did your mother um, or any of your other family members give you tools to protect yourself from the ticks that were all over Northport, New York? No. And it's funny because it was never something that was brought up. You know, I always got mosquito bites. We would get stung by bees often, like, but ticks were just never something that was talked about ever in my family. So what school district were you in when you were living in Northport, New York? It was just, it was the Northport, East Northport school district. Okay. So, and did you take science classes and did you take uh, health classes when you were in that really good school district? Yes, I did. So what did they teach you about ticks and tick diseases, either in your health classes or in your science classes or any other class you were taking in that really good school district? Honestly, absolutely nothing. I, I don't think I ever had anybody in my life talking about ticks, which I know sounds very strange because you would think being in a wooded community on Long Island, but it was never spoken about ever until the first time I found a tick on one of my dogs, which I was at that point older. So but when I was younger and stuff growing up, I never knew anything about ticks or any tick-borne diseases, nothing. So what did you do the first time you saw a tick when you saw it on your dog? Oh my gosh, my English bulldog had his head on my lap. I will never forget. I was petting him. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, is this a wart? And I looked and it was like this big gray, it was like an engorged tick. And I was like, oh gosh. And I just saw the little legs sticking out. And I was like, and I'm not a bug person to begin with. Cause like I said, I always got bit by mosquitoes and stung by bees. And so I saw that and I just, you know, I got my mom and we tried to get it out. And then pieces were like left in his head. So we had to go to the vet and it was a whole thing. But even then they didn't talk about testing him for Lyme disease or, you know, it was just like, oh, we have to make sure we get every part of the tick out so he doesn't get an infection but they didn't say like Lyme disease. It just wasn't like, it wasn't mentioned as if it didn't even exist. So talk to us about what you were dreaming about doing during your childhood, meaning what were you working toward when you were a young person living in Northport, New York? Okay, so I grew up, my mom owned a nail salon when she was like 17. A lot of my family members were in the beauty industry. So I mean, family videos when I was little, I would be saying to my brother, I'm going to make this side of your hair blue and this side pink and this side yellow. Like I always knew that I wanted to be doing hair. I knew that when I was little and my brother would be like, okay, like stay away from me, you know, but that was always my dream. I was in competitive cheerleading. So I was always just very social and I always just loved that, like, like being around other people. And so my dream was to, you know, be doing hair eventually one day, hopefully own my own salon. That was like my goal as I was growing up. So you really always wanted to make other people feel good about themselves and look good. Yes. 100%. That was your dream. And you were working towards achieving that dream. And talk to us about what types of steps you had to take in order to prepare yourself for this industry where you were helping people look their best and feel their best. So in high school, I went to beauty school for half the day. And then I would go to school the other half. So after lunch, I would be in like regular classes in high school. But at that time, everyone would tell me, if you want to make money, if you want to be successful, you really should go to college. And I was like, well, I would try and read a book. And I would be like, what did I just read? Like, I could never really focus on it. And my mom would be like, you're not trying. My teachers would say I wasn't trying. I just knew college wasn't for me. But at that time, 
I was told if I wanted to make money, even to own my own hair salon, I should go to college. So besides just going through beauty school half the day, I was also trying to focus more on my grades to get my grades up to go to college. So let's focus on beauty school for a moment. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, when you, were, when you were going to beauty school, they were training you on how to cut people's hair and style people's hair and do things related to their hair. Um, as part of the training that you received um, in your beauty school um, education, did they talk to you about checking people for ticks and what you would do if you found a tick in someone's head or anything like that? No, never. I mean, they would talk to us about, you know, psoriasis and eczema and different scalp conditions, um, you know, lice. And, you know, I remember the first time they mentioned lice, I was like, oh my gosh, I did not sign up for this. Like, like I said, bug, you know, these, this, that's not my thing. But, um, but no, ticks were once again, never brought up. It was never something that I learned about in school at all. So one of the things that I wanted to share with you is uh, when I had hair, I used to go to a local barber. And one of the things that she shared with me was that she was trained about how to identify and help people treat lice, but she was never trained about ticks or tick diseases. And during her experience here on Long Island, she found ticks substantially more often in the hair of people that she was uh, cutting or styling than she ever did lice. So it's interesting that you're trained to identify a condition that is less likely that to be found by you when you're doing your work as a hairstylist at a hair salon than a condition that you would more, be more likely to find. Yeah, absolutely. And I think depending on, you know, if you're doing more kids hair and stuff like that too, and maybe now the training is different. When I was in beauty school, it was, you know, 2005. So yeah, 2005. So maybe it's a little different now, but I highly doubt it, but it is very strange that they didn't train us on that back then. It is strange that you grew up in a tick endemic community. You have this really aggressive Italian-American mother. You have all kinds of support around you, both socially and, and educationally, and you're working towards preparing yourself in the beauty industry, and you have no information about ticks. And even the experience that you had with ticks on your dog, uh, your veterinarian didn't give you any additional information that would be helpful to you to protect yourself. Right. Yeah, nothing. No. Nope. So talk to us about how your career progressed and how um, you continue to pursue your dreams as uh, someone who would help people to look and feel their best. Okay. So for me, so I, like I said, I was in beauty school in high school and then everyone told me I should go to college. So what I did was I, my senior year finished uh, up part of beauty school. And then I went to college in Arizona. So even though I knew that wasn't what I wanted to do, I was like, you know what, um, I'm going to major in social work. Cause once again, like I love helping people and I'll do my friend's hair while I'm there. And so while I was there, I was just like, okay, school's not for me, but I really want to be doing hair. And I met all these people and I made all these awesome connections, which also I'll tell you later on, but helped me to get diagnosed with Lyme also, which, so thank God for that. But yeah, I was just really trying to figure out like why I'm in college and my parents aren't just paying for me to be here to party, but I need to like get good grades and, you know, but I just knew I wanted to do hair. I knew what I wanted to do. And I was just trying so hard to focus on getting through college so that, so that I could go back to New York and do really what I wanted to be doing. So Mallory, now share with us when you first started to see the symptoms of what you now know to be Lyme disease. 
Okay. So for me, it was a pretty like instant thing. Um, like growing up, I never don't remember having a tick on me. I don't remember being bit, but in like 2012, 2013, I had a root canal and instantly after that, it put me into this crazy, like I got these migraines where I felt like my head was just going to explode. I felt like someone was blowing up a balloon in my head and it was just going to explode. Um, and I had these crazy neck pains. I would get these like muscle spasms and knots in my neck all down my back. My legs started turning purple. My skin started getting flushed. It was like this instant thing after my root canal. Everything just started right after that. Mallory, you're not the first person to share with us that type of experience where someone went for a dental procedure and the dental procedure had an immune disrupting impact on them and their health began to decline from there. Before we move forward on what was happening after the, um, after the uh, dental procedure, let's look back again at your time on Long Island and the experiences that you had. So you don't remember ever having come in contact with a tick or finding a tick biting you at any time. No, never, never. And when I, I, yeah, no, I never, I was always active in cheerleading. Like I said, I was outside, but I do not ever remember seeing a tick on me. The only time I actually saw a tick in person was that time on my dog. I have okay. never seen one on myself. So now we're, um, now we're moving forward to the time when you have your dental procedure, it's an immune disrupting event, and now you're getting sick. So at that time, you don't make any connection between the symptoms that are developing and the possibility of you having Lyme disease despite growing up almost your entire life in a tick endemic community? No, when everything started, I, I knew something was wrong because my speech was off. I really couldn't focus. My skin literally would turn so red and per I, it was just, you know, something's wrong. And all I kept thinking was, I don't know if this is a brain tumor. I don't know. Like Lyme was of all the things I was thinking this might be, Lyme wasn't even up there at all. It wasn't even a thought. So let's go through the progression of your, of your symptoms and how it was now interfering with your life. Where were you at that time in your life, meaning professionally, what were you doing and how were your symptoms now interfering with your, with your life? So at that time I was living on Long Island. I was behind the chair doing clients. Um, I was in a relationship for about two years at that point, um, with my boyfriend who I'm still with now. And, um, it just, it, it's hard because I would wake up and I had this crazy pressure in my head. I was in pain. I would have to get ready to go to work and I'm in the beauty industry. So I can't just go to work with sweatpants on with my hair up in a bun, no makeup on. And I also have to be social and I have to, you know, no client's going to want to come to me if I'm just looking like I just rolled out of bed and I'm like laying on the floor telling them how much pain I'm in. So I had to try and pull myself together. I would wake up like three hours before I had to be at work, even though the salon was right down the street, because I was like, I need time to like get up. If I need to like sit and rest, I was just, you know, I had to take the time to try and pull myself together enough to be able to go to work. And then in between my clients, I would go in the back room and I would sit there with like ice packs on my neck and I would shut the lights off. So nobody like knew what I was dealing with. And then I would go back out and like put a smile on my face. And it was just really, really hard not knowing what was going on, but just knowing that something is wrong. Cause you can, I just knew I'm very intuitive. You just know your own body, you know, and it was hard. 
So what were you doing to try to get help to define what was wrong with you uh, after these symptoms were developing to the point where you now needed three hours to get ready to go to work? I was, every day that I wasn't at work or after work, I was going to different doctors. So I went to endocrinologists, rheumatologists, um, neurologists. I went to like every doctor you can imagine on Long Island. I tried to see everybody. I did like urine tests. They did blood work. No one, by the way, ever tested for Lyme disease or brought up Lyme disease out of all the doctors I saw. Um, I was told maybe I had, um, AIDS and H or HIV. I was asked if I was tested for that, which I know Tori, I think it was brought up on her, on her podcast with you guys. Yes. And when I was listening to that, I was like, that's so interesting that like a doctor would say that to somebody else besides me. Like, cause when I heard it, I was so caught off guard. I was like, excuse me, but like that no one ever brought up Lyme disease. It just blew my mind. It really So did. let's give this a context. So you, you, again, you're on Long Island. You know, the, the, the tip of the spear for Lyme disease, right? We're in the Lyme belt. It's clearly a Lyme endemic, endemic community. You're going from doctor to doctor to doctor, and no one is giving you a diagnosis, yet no one is thinking Lyme. Right. No one was thinking Lyme. They would send me for MRIs, CAT scans. Um, one doctor asked me, like, if I've been to therapy, that I should try and think that I'm feeling okay, to try and get it out of my head as if just telling myself that I'm feeling fine would like cure everything. So every doctor I saw just made me more frustrated and every scan I went for, like I had so many MRIs, CAT scans, and I would cry when they would call me and say like, your results are normal because I would be like, if it's a brain tumor, they can remove it. And then I won't feel like this anymore. And I'll feel like myself again. That's all I kept thinking was like, please find something. And then doctors would be like, you should be happy that we're not finding anything. Like, this is a good thing. I was like, no, it's not. Because if you're not finding out what this is, that means that I'm going to have to keep feeling like this until someone figures it out. So it was really frustrating trying to go to all these doctors and like, they don't take you seriously. They don't give you answers. And it's like, I feel like they're very black and white. A lot of them where you get a scan, they don't see anything. And they're like, your results are normal. And so they just send you home. It's like, no one ever wanted to like, keep going. Like, okay, this came back negative. So let's look into this. That was never done for me. Now, what was your experience like with your doctors? Were the doctors spending any real amount of time with you or were you finding yourself spending a very short amount of time with the doctors going for some kind of a diagnostic test and then spending a short time with the doctors after they review the results? That's exactly how it was. It was a very short time. So they would see me, they would send me for tests and then they would see me for results. I had one doctor tell me I was a medical mystery. She had no idea what else to do with me and just sent me home or they would see me and tell me that everything was normal and again, send me home. So there was so no- is, So Mallory, was there ever a doctor that suggested to you that you are suffering from a mental health condition rather than from a physiological condition? No, not a mental health condition, but they would just certain doctors would just say things like that I should try and not focus on how I'm feeling as if, I think because I'm a female and I think as a girl, when you go into a place, if you are not, like I said, if you're not crawling on the floor in pain, they don't take you seriously. And I'm sure a lot of guys aren't, you know, have, 
I'm not saying that guys don't have the same trouble getting diagnosed, but if I wasn't, you know, if I went there after work, my makeup had to be done for work, my hair had to be done. So they would look at me and be like, well, if you're feeling like that, you know, maybe you should just try and like not think about it as much, or they just didn't take me seriously. They would kind of like poo poo it and like, just try. I think they just wanted to like get me out of their office, to be honest. Nope. Of all the doctors that you saw during this portion of your journey, did you see any female doctors? Yeah, mm -hmm. a couple. Did, did the female doctors treat you any differently than the male doctors that you were treating with? No, nope. It was the same thing. There was not an ounce of compassion. It was not different at all. So now, how are you feeling emotionally as you're going from doctor to doctor and being told you're a medical mystery and we can't diagnose you with anything. Was that stress? Was that causing stress? And do you believe that was helping uh, or interfering with your ability to fight off what, is, what you now know to be your Lyme disease? Yeah. You know what? It affected every part of my life. It affected, you know, I, I'm in general, I'm a happy person. That's just how I've always been. Um, and so I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't be like that. First of all, you're in pain. And I just, I felt so sad and so stressed all the time because I was like, am I going to feel like this forever? Like, I, I just couldn't imagine like this being how my life is going to be. It interfered with my relationship with my boyfriend, my, I never wanted to do anything with my friends, my coworkers and, and people just kind of look at you like, okay, I guess she's like just isn't friendly or personable, you know? And so it, it was really tough. It just, I just felt really, really sad. I felt very alone. And now talk to us about how your family, your, your parents uh, in particular were reacting to your developing symptoms and how did they respond to you telling them that the doctors were not finding anything wrong with you? It's so hard because I feel like I don't, remember so much about that time. I don't know if I just like kind of have tried to like block it out, but it was just, it was years. I mean, I wasn't diagnosed for like three or four years. So it took, it took, it was a while. And I think that for my dad, especially, um, and my brother kind of, you know, they didn't understand. They were both always, you know, fairly healthy. And, um, I think my family just kind of was like, uh, you know, they, they just, they didn't under, they didn't understand. And how could they, you know, they, they hadn't been through it. So every time I would come home and be like, oh, this is normal. This is normal. I think they kind of felt, I'm sure they were kind of like, I don't know, is our daughter like a hypochondriac? Is she, you know, like, is she just, maybe she's, maybe it's stress. Maybe, you know, I'm, I don't know, but like the more tests you go for, the more doctors you see when no one can give you answers. I think your family starts to kind of be like, okay, you know, like, what's what's going on because they didn't understand either so you said you were in a relationship with the man you're still in a relationship with at that time that you had the dental procedure and your chronic symptoms began to unfold um how was uh your illness impacting your ability to be the the partner that you wanted to be and how did he respond to that oh my gosh he uh okay so he would come to some of the doctor's appointments with me but obviously if you're going to doctors for like three years and you're going like, you know, to two or three a week or something after a while, he's like, okay, well I have to work. I can't come, you know, but he was always so supportive of everything I was doing. And I think he just, he knew me as this like 
like he always says, you know, like we would go out to a bar, we would drink, I would be doing like back handsprings and, you know, I was in competitive cheerleading. So like, that's the person he knew was like this bubbly, happy, outgoing person. And then all of a sudden I wasn't, you know, I would come home from work and I would just sleep. I would pass out on the couch, like in my clothes from work. I was just so exhausted. And I used to just be like, maybe you should just not be with me anymore. Like, why would you want to be with someone who's like this? Like, why would, you know, we're not married. You're not like stuck in this relationship. Like you deserve, you know. So why did you think he wouldn't want to be in a relationship with you? Or at least why did you think you were not worthy of being in a relationship with the man you were with at that time? I just feel like, you know, it's like, I was, I felt like I was a burden. That's how I felt. You know, I felt like on my days off, instead of being like, oh, let's go do something or after work, like making dinner or doing whatever it is that a normal couple does. Um, I was always going to doctors and I was always not feeling well. And so I, I just felt like, gosh, if this is going to be my life, I don't want him to have to be like dragged along in this too, you know, especially not having an answer. It was like, I, I just felt bad. I, I never wanted to burden other people with what I was dealing with. So Mallory, at this time you're working in the, in the beauty industry and you're working with a lot of chemicals. Um, talk to us about the type of chemicals you were using when you were, when you were helping people to look and feel their best and what impact do you think you coming in contact with those chemicals was having on your ability to overcome the challenges with what is now your Lyme disease? I mean, now I know I'm so sensitive to so many chemicals that it, that definitely was not helping. You know, I mean, I didn't know the things that I knew now. So the products I was using, um, hair color, bleach, uh, the keratins I was doing, which is like treatments for like frizzy hair. And I mean, the smoke and some people wear like, it looks like a gas mask while they're doing those because of those chemicals. So there's no, I mean, that definitely was not helping my situation at all. Okay. Now, at some point during your journey, you started to have some challenges with your own hair. Talk to us about that and how you reacted to the challenges your Lyme disease is causing you with your hair. Okay. So once I was diagnosed with Lyme, I had started uh, my treatments. And, um, you know, during that process, the main thing I kept saying to my doctor at the time was, whatever you do, please just don't let me lose my hair. Like give me whatever vitamins, whatever IV. That was like my thing. So I'm like, I always had extensions. My hair was always like long, like almost down to my butt. Like that's what I would say to him. And he was probably like, this girl is so vain. But that was like what I would always say, like whatever it is, please don't let me lose my hair. And he was like, okay, Mallory. Okay. Okay. You know? And, um, and all of a sudden after I had, I had a pick line with IV antibiotics, I had a couple of sinus surgeries and the combination of all of that on my body was just like too much. And I went in the shower one day and it was like just clumps of hair coming out to the point where I, oh my gosh, I was so devastated. I was like, I'm going to have to find another job. I'm not going to be able to go to work. How, how can I, first of all, it's hard to make people feel, feel good about themselves and look good and whatever, when you feel terrible about yourself with how you feel, but also how you look. Like if you feel like you look good, you feel more confident. You just like present yourself to the world differently. That's just how it is. And I was like, if I can't fix my hair, how am I going to help my clients? I mean, my hairline was receding so bad. I was embarrassed to like walk out of the house. It was really bad. I thought I was going to be like fully bald. It was really bad. So let's go back to your diagnosis. How were you diagnosed? Because you were going to many, many doctors over the course of many years, and you weren't getting a diagnosis. How did the diagnosis ultimately um, develop? 
Okay. So what happened for me was my right arm, which is my, I'm a righty. So that's like the main arm that I use at work. All of a sudden my upper arm, like my bicep area, whatever started swelling. Like it felt like I had fluid in my arm so bad. And like I had said earlier, you know, I always had like neck pain, back pain. So my chiropractor at the time was like, this is not normal. I don't know if this is like lymphedema. I don't know. Something is going on with you. And he said, my friend is an acupuncturist. He's an amazing diagnostician. I'm going to call him. He has like a three month wait, but I'm going to call him and have him get you in because he needs to figure out what's going on with you. So he called his office and I was at work one day. I got home and I got a phone call. They said, can you be here in a half an hour? It was like eight o'clock at night. And I was like, yes. (laughs) And I just grabbed my stuff and we left. And we went to his office and he's in Smithtown, New York. And he is an acupuncturist, but he does like muscle testing and he's incredible. And we walked into his office. I filled out some papers. They did some weird like hands, like they scanned my hand, um, which I thought was like so odd. I had never, this is the first time I really went to like a more holistic kind of doctor per se. And he did this hand scanner and this muscle testing and he walks out of the room, but I saw the computer when they scanned my hand and on the computer, it said Lyme disease. And I was like, that's weird. Is that like telling my diagnosis? Like, what is this thing that they're doing? And then he starts doing all this muscle testing on me and he looks at me and he says, you have chronic Lyme disease. And I don't know how with all of this blood work and everything you've been checked for that no one's ever tested you for Lyme disease. And I just remember laying there. My boyfriend was with me. Thank God. I laid there. I just couldn't stop crying. It was like waterworks. He had put acupuncture needles in me. I laid on the table and my boyfriend was coming over, like wiping, wiping the tears off my face because I just couldn't stop. It was like, I was so relieved. I was like, I have an answer. You know, like that was how I felt. So I wasn't diagnosed by blood work. I know some people are, but for me, it was like muscle testing and more like holistic testing. So Mallory, let's talk more about the hand scan that you got and muscle testing. So when you said that this acupuncture scanned your hand, was it, was it an x-ray? What kind of scan was it? I don't remember the name of it, to be honest with you. Um, it looked like a little, um, it was like this machine that was on the table. I put my hand on it and there was like, kind of like these like slits for like in between your fingers. And it was, I had to keep my hand like, like a specific way on this machine And there were all these wires that went to the computer. And so I had to like leave it there for, I don't know if it was five minutes or something like that. And um, I don't know the name of it though. It was like some bio scan or something. I forget the exact name. So let's look more now next about muscle testing, because admittedly the first time we heard about muscle testing, I'm like, there's no way that can be accurate or real. And we've heard time and time again, that it's helped people in the Lyme community finally get a proper diagnosis. And it's actually really, really helpful for people. So what was that like for you to get this type of testing compared to traditional blood work that we're used to? Okay. So what he did was he had all these like little tubes of things. And like I said, this was totally new for me. So I had to sit at the end of the table and hold my arm like straight out in front of me. And he would hold these tubes up to me and he would push down on my arm and specific tubes that he would hold towards like, like toward my body, my arm would just go weak. Like I could not hold my arm up and it was like Lyme, ammonia, um, Epstein-Barr, gluten, like all of these different things. And so everything that made my arm go weak with the muscle testing, 
he had wrote down for me to send me for blood work after to confirm it. So like how you said, you know, you guys like, or maybe like, didn't, I'm sorry, I don't know the exact wording you used before, but I know it's weird. Muscle testing sounds weird. I thought that too. So when I went for blood work and everything that he said was like high or like reacting with my body was actually in my blood work. I was like, this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Cause it like confirmed it. Like my ammonia was like through the charts, like Epstein bar through the charts. And I had never been tested for that stuff before. So it was so crazy to do the muscle testing and then the blood work and kind of see that they like it, that he was right with everything he said. So did you start treatment immediately or did you wait for the blood work to confirm the results of the muscle testing and then begin treating? No, he started, I had him treating me, um, through my entire, while I lived in New York. So for the next couple of years, um, I obviously did other things outside of him, like the pick line and stuff like that. But right away, he started me on supplements. He started me on um, Cemento and Banderol, which are like tincture drops that I'm sure you guys have heard of. Um, so I had to start, he said, when he gave me the dropper and he said, so you're going to do one drop in water um, you know, wait like 30 seconds or something. And then you're going to drink it like 30 minutes before a meal. You're going to do it once at night and once in the morning. And I was thinking, what is one little drop going to do? And he was like, you can't take more than one drop right away. Cause you can herx. And I was like, what is a herx? And then he starts describing it. And I'm like, oh, gee, it's like, cause you just think like, okay, you got a diagnosis. You're going to take a pill and like, be fine. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had no idea. So Mallory, how did you feel when you first started treating? It sounds like the first two things you did were Cemento and Banderol. How did you feel taking those medications? Was it, did you not herx because you started a low dose? Oh no, I still did. I still did. <laughs> um, it wasn't as bad. It wasn't like the first dose, like it wasn't the one drop. Um, but once he increased it, that was when I started to herx. And it was like, right when I would take it, my headaches would get really bad. My skin would get very flushed but I saw him a couple of times a week. So he was always like monitoring everything I was going through. So it wasn't like I was just like on my own, you know? So I would see him, he would continue doing the muscle testing. If he had to like tweak something and be like, okay, go back to five drops or go up to seven drops. He monitored everything that I was doing, which was really good. And he had warned you about the herxing. So you knew that this could happen and it didn't, it didn't deter you to stop treating when this occurred. No, not at all. Because it was something I was already dealing with. It was just like, you know, it would kind of randomly happen all the time. I always had like a headache, but some days it was just worse than others. And I would always get flushed with my skin, but it was just random. So like when I would herx, it was just like everything like this, like wave of all of it at one time. So no, that definitely didn't make me stop it. Cause it was something I had already, I was used to already. So Mallory, beyond the two herbs, were you doing anything else initially with your acupuncturist to treat Lyme disease? Um, no, it was just the two herbs at first and then the acupuncture that he would do. And then I would see my chiropractor also. So it was all more of like the holistic kind of treatment. And how long were you doing this for? I would say probably about a year. So yeah. talk to us about the progression you made throughout that year, because I'm assuming you made some gains. So what were some improvements you made while you were treating with the two herbs, the acupuncturist and the chiropractor? So I definitely felt like my headaches got better between the chiropractor and the acupuncturist. They would, you know, help me with like the knots in my neck. So I didn't have as much, as much tension. 
Um, you know, obviously doing hair, you're using a blow dryer, you're using like, I'm using my arms and I'm standing on my feet all day. So that's a lot on my body. So they would say to me, like, have you ever thought about like another profession? Maybe like, this is a lot for your body and with the chemicals and stuff. And I'm like, nope, we're going to have to figure out another way. I love what I do. I'm not going to stop doing it. So they had to kind of like work with that, but it definitely helped between the drops and then staying consistent with the chiropractor and the acupuncturist. It helped with like the knots that I got and like the muscle tension, which also helped with my headaches too. So what other doctors were you working with throughout this one year window? Because I don't believe that the acupuncturist or the chiropractor can issue blood work, but you said that you had some done to confirm your diagnoses that you got from the muscle testing. So were you partnering with another doctor in parallel or was that just for the purpose of getting tests run? Um, well, what happened was at one point I had, well, I had like my regular general practitioner, so he's really great. And if I ever needed something like I, he's the one that would send me to all these other doctors. Cause he would hear me saying like, all these things are going on. So he would like refer me out to people. So if I needed certain blood work done, he would, he would do it. So if my acupuncturist was like, I want you to get tested for this, I would tell my doctor and he would do it. But I would also get like weird things with my skin. Like I started getting that um, erythema migraines, I think, is that how you say it? Yes. I started getting that. So I had to go see a dermatologist. So I saw a dermatologist for like the flushing of my skin, the fact that my legs would get like purple and then the erythema migraines. And so she was also like, you know, it could also be Lyme disease. She had brought it up too, but now this is after I already knew most likely that I had it. Um, so she did some blood work and stuff like that. And she did like a biopsy on my arm. And um, so I had some doctors, not that they were working together, but I had a couple of different people that I would go to. Do you think that these Lyme rashes were coming out when you were treating because it was bringing the Lyme out and making it more active while you were working on killing it? That's what I, I think so. I think maybe, yeah, I think it definitely could have been because I had never had that as far as like the erythema migraines goes, I had never had that before. So that was like a new thing for me. So you never had it. You never remember to take bite. You never had a bullseye rash or a Lyme rash, but you started to get it once treating. And then of course, doctors started to think, Hey, it's Lyme disease, but you already had that diagnosis. Yes. Like I would get flushed a lot. Um, like I would get, I know that people with lupus get like a butterfly rash. I get more like, it looks like I have a beard, but it's red and it's like hot. And then I get it on like my chest and my arms and my legs, you know, would get like red and like purple, but I never had like a bullseye rash ever, never had anything like that. And there are, I think I'm going to probably say the wrong number, about six different types of rashes that are associated with Lyme disease. And we have them on a highlight on our Instagram for anybody that wants to check them out. But Mallory, talk to us more now about what made you stop treating with the acupuncturist at the end of this one-year window? Did you plateau and you weren't getting any better? What caused you to change your treatment path at that point? So at that point, I still was seeing him, but after the year, then he started me on these like they were like, um, it was like homeopathy, I guess. So they were these little like vials and I would have to take one. I don't really remember this because it was, I feel like it was so long ago, but also it was like kind of a blur. They made those made me herx really bad. Um, but they were these little like vials and I would have to take one. I believe it was every day and I did them at night and those made me feel so terrible. So after the year of the drops, we did the homeopathy these little vials, I guess he said it was like of Lyme, like something with Lyme. I don't, I'd have to try and look up the exact name, but yeah, they tasted disgusting. I would take them and instantly I like felt like I was going to pass out. It was like terrible. So that was after the year. That was like the next thing that we tried. 
Did you get any relief from those at all other than it making you feel worse immediately after taking them? Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think they really helped to be honest. And at the time I was smoking cigarettes too. I felt like that was my one like thing, you know, like I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs and smoking was like my one like relief. And he would always tell me like, Mallory, you have to quit smoking cigarettes. You're, it's like, we're doing all the, these things to try and heal you, but then you're smoking and you're putting these chemicals in your body. So it's like cleaning a room and someone opens a window and is throwing garbage in there. Like, that's what he would say to me. So, but I was like, but it's my one thing. Like I'm, I'm sick. I'm stressed. Like I can't, you know, I can't stop smoking. So I think at the time me smoking too, I'm sure absolutely was not helping me to get better either. How long were you on the tinctures for before you decided they weren't working and you tried something else? I went through the whole set. It was like a whole box of them. So I, I don't know if it was 15 days or a month, but I did do it. I finished those. And again, no relief at the end of that 15 day window. Not nothing like that. I remember, like, it's not like I was like, wow, this is amazing. So at that point, were you still taking the cemento and the banderol or did you stop that to take the homeopathic tinctures? I think that we stopped those. I think it was just the tinctures at that point and then other like vitamins and supplements that he would give me. Do you recall what type of supplements and vitamins you were taking in parallel to these things? Oh my gosh, I had a whole cabinet full. I feel like what wasn't I taking? <laughs> I'm sure that you know, it, I so much stuff. And then it, when I would see him and he would do the muscle testing, if there was something else we would have to add in, everything. Except the only thing that I know I was not taking was magnesium because- I know for some people with Lyme, um, when they take magnesium, it makes you feel really sick. And for me, that's my case. Um, if I take anything with magnesium, I feel like I got hit by a bus. It makes me feel terrible. So I think everything except magnesium, I was probably taking. <laughs> so besides the two herbs and now the tinctures for this little over a year window, were you doing anything else that helped you have some symptom relief while you were treating? Any tips you can recommend to our listeners that helped you get through this rough time? Um, whether it's, it could be sleep, diet, exercise, um, deep breathing, anything that was just helpful in with your journey to help you get through the, the tough times. Oh, diet for sure was huge for me. I mean, I was already a vegan, um, since I was in college, I had read a book and I was like, oh, that's it. I'm done. So I, I was already vegan, but I decided, you know, I'm going to start like juicing. My mom does like health coaching. She had done like IIN and a couple of different things. And so she was like, Mallory, we need to like give you like more nutrients and stuff. So I got rid of gluten. Um, sugar was like the one thing I couldn't stop. Like I love, love candy. So at that time I was like, I still want like my sour patch kids and stuff. So, but, um, but juicing and I felt like that made me feel so good. I would do all these juice cleanses with a lot of like green juices and carrot juice. And that definitely helped me. I feel like it helped the inflammation go down. Um, and I just felt more, like more awake. I felt like my body could like work better. On the other side of the spectrum, did you find any foods that you were eating that you immediately recognized would trigger your symptoms to get worse? Like for example, the dairy or even the sugar that you were still having? Um, gluten would trigger it and sugar. But I, I loved, like I said, I loved my candy, but sugar would make me, I would wake up in the morning and my hands would be huge. My knuckles would be all swollen and red. I felt like I couldn't even like bend my fingers. It felt like I had like arthritis anytime I would have any candy. So yeah, those definitely triggered something with my Lyme for me. 
right, so what next? Now you finished the homeopathic tinctures. You're still with your acupuncturist. What do you do next now in your healing journey? Okay, so for me, the, the other side of my um, story, diagnosis, illness, whatever you want to call it, um, which I don't know if any other people can relate, but like when you have Lyme disease, obviously your body can't fight off other infections very well. So like that root canal that I was telling you about that started all my Lyme symptoms, that infection, he didn't get all of that infection out um, when he did the root canal. So it traveled into my jawbone and then into my sinus cavity. So the entire left side of my face was infected. So on top of treating the Lyme, then I also had to get everything treated with my tooth and my sinuses. So like I had to have my tooth pulled, I had to have oral surgery, I had to have sinus surgery. So then I had to be on all these antibiotics for that. Um, and then a pick line. And so they were trying to like treat the Lyme and also this infection that I had going on in my face too, at the same time. So it was like, oh, we're going to put you on these drops. And then they had stopped those to put me on an oral antibiotic. It was, they were always like kind of mixing what they could give me and trying to like find the right combination of stuff. So was this in parallel to that one year window, that one year plus window that you were going to the dentist and other doctors to get the pick line put in and have dental surgery and have sinus surgery. Was that all in parallel or did that happen later on after this, this time period? So this was all, this wasn't the first year that I was diagnosed with Lyme. This actually all happened um, like 2017. And to be honest with you, I'm still dealing, they still can't get rid of this infection in my face. Now they still can't because of the Lyme. They said, my body just cannot fight this infection. They said, if I had a healthier immune system, if I didn't have Lyme disease, this would have been gone. I mean, I did six weeks of pick line IV antibiotics. And every time that I'm on antibiotics now, I feel better. It's like my headaches get better. I feel like I can focus more. I have more energy. And the second that I stop the antibiotics, I'm in bed and I feel terrible. It's like that that feeling again, like my head is going to explode and it's a crazy thing, but, and they've tried so many different things. I've seen so many specialists and they're like, because of the Lyme, your immune system is just not like fighting this infection that you have. So I've been dealing with both for like the past couple of years, which is crazy. <laughs> so all in all is about a three or four year window since you've been diagnosed up until the present date, correct? Now it's actually, um, I was diagnosed like mid 2015. So it's been like six years now. Okay. So talk to us more about, so we kind of got through the first about, let's say year and a half of the tinctures. And after that, you were still living in New York, right on Long Island, you were treating with this acupuncturist. And then it sounds like shortly after that, you started to now investigate this, this problem with your, your teeth and the infection. What led you back to the dentist to make you think that you may have an infection in your mouth and in your face? Well, so I would, when I would go for all these scans for my headaches and stuff, they would tell me, oh, well, your sinuses on the left side are blocked, but if you're not ha having any trouble breathing, don't worry about it. It's fine. And I was like, okay. Like, I mean, if, if you're telling me not to worry about it, like that's literally these ENTs, that's what they would tell me. They were like, if you're not having, they would say the headaches weren't related to the sinuses being like filled and blocked. Um, and if I'm not having trouble breathing, then I shouldn't worry about it. So um, what happened was I actually had, I was brushing my teeth one day, my gums were super sensitive where I had the root canal done. So I went to my dentist and he did these x-rays and he was like, 
something looks, you know, weird. I see like a shadow. I'm going to send you to um, like an, an endodontist or like a, an oral surgeon. He sent me to somebody else, some like specialist. And they did like a 3D scan of my mouth, which I think everybody should get, honestly, like at least like, I don't know, every couple of years, but they did that. And they saw that there was an abscess and they could see that the infection literally like ate away at my jawbone and was going into my sinus cavity. So I had to have oral surgery where they had to like pull my tooth. And they said, when they pulled my tooth, my entire like sinus drained that night, I called the oral surgeon because they give you like his emergency number. Now me, of course, I have to call him to tell him how amazing he is on his emergency line. He's probably like, you couldn't have waited until tomorrow. But I called him that night and I was crying. I told you guys I'm emotional. I haven't cried yet, but I was crying. I said, this is the first time since 2012, 2013 that I don't have a headache like everything drained and I felt incredible. I felt so good. Now I also was on antibiotics because of them doing the oral surgery. So between the antibiotics and them draining my sinus, I felt so good. I was like, oh my God, I felt like I'm done. Like, this is it. I just, I'm going to be healed, you know? And, um, but because of the Lyme, it just keeps coming back. It's crazy. What's, this is very interesting because we often hear people tell us that if they live if they live in a moldy home, for example, they can treat Lyme all they want, but the Lyme will continue to come back and reactivate because they're living in a moldy home, which is keeping their immune system down. But it sounds like in your case that as much as you were treating your Lyme disease, you had this infection in your mouth and in your sinuses, and your your body didn't have a chance of fighting off the Lyme because you were so compromised with the infection in your face. So do you think that? that was a critical part in your healing journey that you had to get past that before you can move forward and actually start to treat the Lyme disease. I think that it was like hand in hand. I feel like, you know, I, I think that the Lyme couldn't go away because of this infection or couldn't be treated as much because of this infection. But I also think the infection couldn't go away because of my Lyme. So my body was just, my body was just a mess for such a long time. So essentially you had to work on both in order to give yourself a fighting chance to recover. I think is what you're saying. Yes, absolutely. So talk us more now about this relief. So when you had this dental surgery, you had your, your tooth removed, you had all this drainage of your sinuses, you had the symptomatic relief. Did that last or did your symptoms come back after that? It came back as soon as I stopped antibiotics. As soon as I stopped, all my symptoms came back again. Now, were your doctors communicating, meaning was, was your acupuncturist, was your chiropractor, were your primary care physician, and now your dentist and your doctor who performed the sinus surgery, I guess an ENT doctor, were they all collaborating since this was a multifaceted problem for you? It wasn't just the infection and it wasn't just the Lyme disease, there were multiple pieces. So, you know, it makes me wonder how often were they communicating to collaborate on you as a patient and your unique journey to get you into a better place? They weren't because like the oral surgeon didn't care that I had Lyme disease. It was like, okay, oh, well, yeah, you could treat that. That's easy. Like, you know what I mean? So it wasn't like he was calling my acu, like nobody was communicating with each other because I felt like a lot of my regular doctors were not believing in chronic Lyme disease. Um, and so it was like, oh, you know, so they would just kind of treat me for whatever was going on at that time. So like the oral surgeon was just treating me for this infection. When my headaches came back, he was like, well, I did everything that I could. So like, I don't know what to tell you. It wasn't like he was calling my acupuncturist and they were trying to work together. It was like, I did what I could. And, you know, now you're still sick. I don't know what to do anymore. So 
Do you think that did you a disservice? Because I wonder if when you had your tooth pulled and you had the infection and everything drained, if you were on an aggressive herbal protocol to help rebuild your body and strengthen your body and also an antimicrobial herbal protocol, would that have supplemented the antibiotics well? And then in the long term, you wouldn't have had a relapse if you were on this more holistic body rebuilding approach with your natural doctor in addition to your Western doctor who was treating you with the antibiotics. I mean, I think that that's like the biggest thing that a lot of people are missing in their healing journey, I think, is having doctors that do work together that see both sides and that are willing to combine both things, you know, but for me, it was more like, okay, if you're on oral antibiotics, don't do the drops. And if you're on the drops, don't do oral antibiotics. So I never had everything together. It was like one or the other, but I think it could have made a huge difference. I'm sure. So it sounds like you just kind of went on this, this, as we call it, the antibiotic merry-go-round or the antibiotic cycle where you're getting antibiotics, you're feeling better, and then you go off them and you crash. You're getting antibiotics again, you're feeling better, you go off them and then you crash. You're also working with your natural doctor and getting some great natural supplements to help you heal. But ultimately, you're not working to get together to work at the root cause because you really have two things going on keeping you sick. So aside from everything else we discussed, is there anything else you've done in your healing journey that's noteworthy as far as the treatment is concerned? So, um, you know, during that time I got like a biomat, which is, you know, it's like an amethyst crystal biomat, which is supposed to really help like with detoxing and with, you know, it's very relaxing and you can change like the heat setting on it, but it also, I don't sweat like naturally. So I know sweating is like very important for like detoxing. So if I put that on high and I put blankets on me, it helps me to like sweat and detox. So I think the biomat is very helpful. Honestly, I think diet is huge, especially now, like looking back on everything and with the things I'm doing now. Um, I just think diet is very important. And, um, you know, like the IV, um, vitamin IVs were very helpful for me. And um, when I did the pick line, that was helpful at the time. Did you only do the pick line once or did you get IV antibiotics multiple times? They just did it once for six weeks. Um, and during, during those six weeks, I felt really good. And as soon as they stopped, I felt sick again. And they were like, well, you could try another pick line, but I was scared. I, I honestly, at that point, because now, you know, it was a little over a year since I was diagnosed. And I just, it's like, you go through this thing where you're trying all these different things and you just want to feel better. And then I just, I felt so like, like defeated. Like I felt like, okay, I felt really good when my tooth was pulled. Then I got sick again. I felt good on antibiotics. Then I was sick again. I had the pick line. As soon as they stopped it, I was sick again. I kind of felt like, am I going to have to like keep doing this in order to feel okay? Because also I was still trying to do hair. So I had a pick line put in and then I would go to the salon and work and I couldn't blow out my client's hair. I would have my assistant do that, but I would still be there. I'd have to like clean the pick line in the back color room and you know, make sure it was okay. The first day I thought it moved. I had to go to the emergency room. Cause I was like, I think it like, it like moved. Cause I knew it was like going towards my heart, but I, you know, I didn't know the full details of the pick line. So the first day at work, my doctors were like, don't work, don't work. I'm like, you don't understand. I have to go to work. So, you know, I went, so it was just trying to adjust to life with a pick line. And then when I finished and they were like, well, we could always do it again. I was like, no, I can't, I can't keep doing this. It's like, you want to do something that you feel like is going to relieve you completely or mostly. But if every time you stop a treatment, 
everything comes right back. It's very discouraging because you feel like, am I going to keep having to do this like over and over and over again? I couldn't, I felt like I just couldn't do that. You felt like there were band-aids. They weren't actually helping you heal. They were just band-aids. And as soon as you ripped that off, it was, you were back to where you were. That's a perfect, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it was. So now you're clearly you're very frustrated. You're doing a lot of things. You're, you're, you're doing your best and your doctors are doing their best. What happens next? And what are you doing today now? Because clearly you've made a lot of progress. I mean, you're here on this podcast, you're, you're speaking great. You're telling your story very well. And obviously you made it, you've made a huge, huge amount of progress since you were first diagnosed. So what are you currently doing now? It's helping you be so successful in your healing journey. You know what? I, okay. So thank you for saying that, by the way. <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to get emotional. I told you guys, okay. It took me like how long to get like this. Um, I think when I was going through everything, it was so, you know, I would say, okay, you know, the fact that I couldn't wear a skirt or couldn't wear a short dress or shorts because my legs were red really bothered me when I was getting ready. I would, you know, it would give me anxiety just trying to get dressed because I didn't like that. Or I was afraid like when I would go to work and my skin would get flushed and I would have clients say to me, oh, did you dip your hands in a bowl of color? Like, because my hands were all red. Those things like really, really bothered me. And I really stressed about them. And it just made me very anxious. Now I'm to the point where I know my skin gets flushed and like, that's just a part of my life. And I've accepted that. So like, if I'm out and my skin's flushed, that's just what it is. And if someone looks at me weird, I don't care. Like I've learned to just say like, you know what, clearly these are things that have not gone away and maybe it won't go away. And I've learned to accept it instead of stressing about things that I seriously can't control because it hasn't gone away. I don't know if it will. Um, but it was something that really bothered me. You know, like the things that I stressed about things that were really out of my control in the beginning and for years, because I think anybody does when you get like a new diagnosis and then you have people saying it's not real. And then people saying it is real and you just don't know what to do. So I just stressed with everything for years and that's just not good for anybody's health. I've gotten to a point where I'm like, this is who I am. Like, I know I'm a good person. I know I'm good to people. I treat other people well. And I, you know, it's like, if someone's going to judge me because my skin is red, like then that's, you know, that's on them. I don't care anymore. Like I can't let those things bother me. So for me, a huge part of, you know, my healing is, I mean, I, I got rid, I stopped smoking when my tooth was pulled. So that's been great. I mean, I don't smoke anymore. Um, but I also, like I said, I used to love candy. Now I literally don't, I crave like carrot juice and my kombuchas. Like that's what I crave now, which I think just is very telling of like my body and like what my body needs. But I listen to my body now, you know, like if I need to lay down and rest, I don't, I don't harp on that. I don't, you know, I, I'm not as hard on myself anymore. If I, you know, if I need to lay down, I lay down. If my dishes need to be done and they're not done, they can wait or my boyfriend will do it. Like he understands, you know, like that's not important. I think life is just too short. And I feel like I've gotten to a point where I'm like, it's okay to listen to your body. And I have to just stop worrying about what other people are thinking. Um, because being in the beauty industry, it's, it's very hard to, it, that was really, it's, it's hard for me. I mean, it was hard feeling like you know, clients are going to look at me like her legs are red, her hands are red, look at her face getting red. And now she's balding. Like I, I just felt like I was a mess. I was like, no one, no clients are going to trust me to be doing their hair and make them look pretty when I felt like this, you know, but 
I've let that stuff go and I've really changed like the products that I use and the, you know, the stress is huge. I think stress kills people. I mean, it gives people cancer. And I, you know, I just, I think you, once you get past the fact that like you have Lyme, you might not have every answer and knowing that every day is going to be different. You know, I know that I'm not going to be like doing the back handsprings I was doing when I was in my, you know, when I was a teenager and I'm okay with that now I've accepted that. And I just think that's really important. So really this mindset shift has allowed you to live a healthier, better, more productive life in the present day. And this reminds me of something we talked about with our, our guest from last week, Jennifer Hoffman, that it's not remission or bust because you did say you're not in remission, but you're doing a lot better clearly. So you can have a, a happy, productive life and not be in remission. I think that's really what you're saying here is that you are enjoying your life. You are happy. You are helping other people, but it doesn't mean that you have to be in remission to, to live that type of a lifestyle. So that's something you would agree with that. It's not remission or basically I'm bedridden and I can't function. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. You know, I know if my, when my headaches are really bad, I take something for my migraines. And if that doesn't help, I call my doctor and I'm like, listen, I need to be on antibiotics. Like I know my body, so I'm not in remission. And I don't, you know, when people say they're in remission, I don't even understand that because I'm like, how do you even know what, like with blood work being unreliable and you know, I, I have that, I don't need, I still don't even understand that to this day when people say they're in remission, I'm like, how do you really know that? You know, but um, yeah, I think just listening to your body and not feeling like you have to be perfect every day and feel perfect every day. I think, I think it's helpful. Now I'm not saying that those doctors that told me, oh, just think that you're okay and everything's fine. That is absolutely not what I'm saying. Um, you know, because I've gone through all these treatments and, you know, all through quarantine, I was on antibiotics for over a year. So, you know, you have to, it's a combination of everything, but I think when you're first diagnosed, the stress of all of that is really, really hard for people. So I think that just knowing that it's, you're gonna, not that you're gonna be okay, but like you can, you can live with this if you can manage your symptoms and like that it's okay to lay down just because your friends are going out, like knowing that you need to take care of yourself and that's, it's just so important. And. But I think it is, I think it is that you will be okay because you are okay and you are okay because of all of your hard work, having to deal with doctors who couldn't properly identify what your illness was, then dealing with doctors who couldn't work together to treat you in the way that you should have been treated because they just, they refused to, to collaborate and communicate on your two different conditions that were keeping you down. But you kept fighting and fighting and fighting and treating and treating and treating. And today you're in a much better place because of your hard work. So it just proves the point that you have to be your own advocate to get better and you are better. Again, you may not be in remission and what really is remission, right? And that's a really excellent question because does the Lyme bacteria ever fully get eradicated? I don't believe it does. I think we're gonna be living with it for the rest of our lives and with proper lifestyle, we can live really high quality of lives, possibly symptom-free lives. And that's, that's what our goal should be, right? So I think you should reflect back on that and give yourself some grace and credit for where you are today if you were somebody else, you would not be here today on this podcast speaking to us. You would still be very, very sick. And we've seen that. So um, it's really inspiring to see you here talking with us after being mistreated for so long by so many people. But I, before I do hand this back over to Rich, I want to end with one final question for you, Mallory. And that is, give us an idea of something you're doing today that you never thought you would be able to do when you first got sick and you could barely function. Okay, so now I... 
I mean, I picked up and I moved to Florida where I left all my clients in New York. My boyfriend and I moved to Florida. Um, I'm starting over at a new salon. So I'm working from home part-time, like just doing my own thing as like an entrepreneur. But then I also um, work at a salon and I'm just renting a chair a couple of days a week. So I'm like doing my own thing. And I'm just starting over building my clients healthier. And from going from having clients that knew I had Lyme and would like see me and like they, you know, they were used to seeing me being red and flushed. And then they got used to that after a while. And they, you know, now, like I thought, I just didn't think that I would be able to have the confidence to like restart somewhere else and do this and be on your podcast and share on social media. And you guys are seriously, like, I know I message you guys and tell you this all the time and, you know, but you guys, what you've done for me to be able to like, Oh, I knew you guys are just like, you guys are amazing. Like I would not be sharing a lot of the stuff that I do if it wasn't for you guys. Truly. I wouldn't because you guys have made me feel like, okay, there's other people, not even like with Lyme awareness. It's not even like other people that don't have it because I feel like they just don't get it. Cause you don't know what you don't know, but connecting me with people that have Lyme that understand what I'm going through and like being able to have these conversations with people. And like, I've made such great friendships and it's like knowing like you're just not alone is like in amazing. And so you guys, I just really, Matt and Rich, like, thank you guys. Seriously, I just want you guys to know that. Well, we thank you for saying that Mallory and making us cry and, uh, and <laughs> uh, but we, we do have more podcasting to do before we, uh, before we, uh, yes. we, we stop and cry together. And let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's take a moment to now reflect on your whole journey, because the way I'm looking at this is it's likely you had Lyme disease for most of your life and you were able to manage this through living a relatively healthy lifestyle as an athlete and as a competitive cheerleader and, and as, um, you know, as a young person. And then you had some immune disrupting events all come together at the same time where you were working in a, in a, a community or in an industry where there were a lot of chemicals that you were using. And then you had this dental problem and you had a lot of stresses associated with being in the beauty industry. And then you had the crash. Right. And the crash then resulted in you having to go on this journey where you even lost those pieces of your of your talents um, that you valued, such as your appearance and your skin tone and your hair. And yet all of these things happen. But this has been a really transformational experience for you. So talk to us about what you've now learned about yourself. And despite having to go through all of that suffering that you've gone on through your whole life, how you're now a new person and how you're able to now become an entrepreneur and you're able to use these experiences and the pain that you suffered as a way of helping other people through their challenges. So I think like, like you were saying, you know, doing hair, it's everything I've always done is I always just want to help other people and make other people feel good. And when people would sit in my chair, if they were like recently divorced or they had a health issue or they had postpartum hair loss or whatever it was that was affecting their hair or, you know, how they felt about themselves, I couldn't truly understand it. You know what I mean? Like, cause I hadn't been there, but now having this health issue and losing my hair, you know, it just really changed how I look at things. And, um, I feel like it's just, it's changed my relationships with like my, my clients even more so. Um, and I just, I feel like I have like a whole nother way now of helping people. 
And it's just, it's changed how I look at life. It's changed how I look at myself. And, you know, we all like criticize ourselves so much, especially young girls. It's like, you look at one thing and you think, you know, you could be a hundred pounds and think you're fat or whatever. And, you know, then you, it's just, you start realizing that certain things just aren't important. And just, I've been able to, I helped my best friend get diagnosed with Lyme and just being able to help, help other people even more is just a really, it's something I never expected to come out of this. So let's talk about that in a little bit more detail, Amalo. You've always had um, a, a desire to help people have nice hair, right? And I'm sure with women, it's more difficult than it is with men because men have a certain level of social acceptance of losing their hair, but women is very different. I remember when my mother went through her uh, breast cancer treatments, what she was most concerned about was losing her hair. And quite frankly, what she was most, um, one of the most painful experiences for her was when she lost her hair, right? So now you have the ability to identify that piece of suffering that people have um, have to endure when they're going through these types of challenges, because you yourself now have gone through this, and you've now tried to come up with a solution for that, where you're now scaling that as an entrepreneur, rather than a gal who's just standing behind the chair and doing this on a person by person basis. So talk to us about how this experience that you had with your own hair loss, and the connections that you've made in the Lyme community have now inspired you to become an entrepreneur. So when I was losing my hair, like I said, I felt like I was going to have to look for another job or something. And because I felt like if I can't help myself, how am I going to help these women in my chair that are going through this? Whereas before I would be like, okay, extensions or whatever, but there's only so much you can do when someone's lost a lot of hair. So when it happens to you, all of a sudden you're like, I really got to figure this out. Like we got to, you know, there's something's got to help. And I tried so many different things and nothing worked. And then I found these naturally based products, which at the time, you know, I was, I changed everything in my house to naturally based stuff. I stopped doing the keratins. I switched the color I was using. You know, I had changed a lot of different things in my life for the, like, the naturally based stuff. And so when I found these products that worked, I was like, okay, now I have something that I can help people on another level and people that aren't just in my chair, people that are all over. And then other people with Lyme started messaging me like on Instagram being like, my hair looks like how yours does. Like, how can you, you know, help me? And I was like, oh my gosh, like there really, there are other people out there that need this too. And so the relationships and then being able to help them like Ashley Marber, who you guys know, who's like amazing, who I love so much. And, you know, now her and I work together. It's just really, it's amazing because we get on these Zooms and we cry half the time and then we're talking about hair and, you know, it's just, it's, it's, you know, how an illness can actually bring these like amazing people into your life and form these connections. I thought I was going to be like isolated alone. I thought I was going to have to stop working and, but it's actually done the opposite and it's brought like some of the best people into my life. So I'm actually like, I'm grateful for that, you know? But the reason so many of these great people are, are now in your life is because you have a new view on your talents and the suffering that you've had to endure has now refined your understanding of your talents and what you're really contributing, right? Because you can contribute at scale when, you're, when you take the approach that you're now taking and you would never have done that had you not gone through your own hair loss journey that was, that was driven by your challenges with uh, Lyme disease. But even more importantly, you now understand 
that when you are when you're working with somebody even in the chair that you have to use natural products because the chemical products that you're using of course could result in immune disruption and cause them to get sick so those two things have come together with you and it's quite frankly the reason we by way of background have been really uh, happy to work with you and feature you on our um uh, social media, because you are somebody who reflects that transformation in a really beautiful way, and a really important way in a way that we've not seen anyone else, where you're focusing on a really important element of appearance that is so important to, I think, a lot of people, especially the women in this community. So I, I just want you to know, we've really admired you and the work that you're doing in that regard, which is why we have you on this podcast today. So... Mallory, talk to us about what the future is for you and how you plan to help other people in addition to, you know, being vulnerable and appearing on podcasts like ours and sharing your journey and, and doing the beautiful work that you're doing on social media. What else are you planning to do in the future so you can continue to help people in this very unique way? Um, I mean, this is the first time I've actually shared my story with anybody on whether it's a podcast or even like on Instagram. I don't even think I have a full video of me trying to talk about this because I'm sure you guys know it's hard and trying to remember everything and stuff. And so, you know, I, I would like to share more and I would like to, you know, get more involved in different things. And um, because of you guys, like, you know, before I think I didn't want to be a part of these, like a lot of these Lyme groups and stuff, because I felt like they made me more sad or they made me, you know, more depressed. And I got more scared, like people saying these things. And I was like, okay, this is definitely not helpful for me, you know? So I just, I'm going to, you know, I plan to just keep doing what I'm doing. I mean, I started doing like peptide injections for my immune system. So I'm trying to keep up with my immune system, keep up with my diet. I'm going to keep sharing. And I just hope to like, keep helping people. And, um, you know, I'm just doing what I can every day. I feel like I just literally, I, I always say like, I can't plan things like five years in advance. I can't do that to myself. So I do take things like day by day, but you know, I'm trying to get my immune system as strong as I possibly can. My boyfriend and I are finally like, we're talking about having kids. And so I know that's hard with Lyme and stuff. So that's like a big conversation, you know? So, but I mean, I just, I really just want to, you know, take care of my body, keep myself as healthy as I can and just keep sharing and bringing awareness to Lyme and just helping other people that maybe have Lyme and don't know it yet. It's, I feel like a lot of people that get diagnosed, they find somebody on Instagram that's talking about it. And they're like, wait, those are my symptoms, you know, like, so us sharing, it really is so important, not only to spread awareness to people going through it, or people that maybe don't know about Lyme, but people that are sick that are like looking for an answer. There's, you know, we can help them. And so that's just, that's what I kind of like, that's my plan. I appreciate that. And, and journeying out loud the way you are is so helpful to so many different people in the community. And that's one of the reasons why we've come to love Mallory Green. So let's talk about the other person in your life who you love more than the guys on Take Boot Camp. And that's the <laughs> man who you're living with, who uh, has been with you from the beginning. And you gave him the opportunity to escape uh, the Lyme life. Uh, but he said no, and he continued to support you. And he's doing all kinds of wonderful things for you. So let's say, God forbid, after this podcast, he came walking into the room where you're sitting now and he had a tick biting him on his arm. What would you recommend that he do so he wouldn't have to go through all the suffering that you've had to go through on your Lyme disease journey? So if he got bit right now or had a tick on him right now, um, I think for anybody listening to this, if you get bit and you know that you're bit, you need to get on doxycycline like right away. You need to find a doctor, go to 
urgent care, whatever it is. I think that it's, it's hard, like you were saying earlier, you know, to find a doctor that will test a tick or send it out or, but you need to get on an antibiotic right away. And I think that's so important. I think getting on doxycycline for a month or you have to just try and treat that just in case, because you just don't know. And you don't want to just like, wait, wait until you develop symptoms, wait and see what happens. Wait a couple, like you have to just be aggressive with it right away because if you do that in the beginning, I think that you have a much better chance of killing that bacteria, hopefully, you know? Um, but that's what I would do. I would be like, we need to go to the doctor right now and get you on antibiotics, like for like a month at least, you know? Um, but that would, that would be what I would have him do. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Mallory Green. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Mallory Green, please visit our Instagram page at hair by Mallory Green. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to offer us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or on Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank your community for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.